is the WTF Bach Podcast. The podcast about Johann Sebastian Bach, brought to you by his prodigal son, WTF Bach. Join WTF Bach as he guides your mind through a contrapuntal journey. Why don't you let WTF Bach guide you? And now, here's WTF Bach. It's Evan Shinners here. You can call me WTF Bach if you want to use less letters. Today, we are going to hear a young masterpiece of Bach's from his Arnstadt years. Now, when were his Arnstadt years, you ask? What is Arnstadt? Well, let's go through a quick biographical sketch of our man, JSB. He was born in... Well, where was he born? He was born in Eisenach. Eisenach in good old Thuringia. He was an orphan at the age of 10, at which point he goes to Ordruf, another city in Thuringia, to be brought up by his eldest brother, Johann Christoph Bach. So then, after about five years of being brought up, in those circumstances, Bach is 15 in the year 1700, and he goes to Lüneberg, where it appears he's singing a bit. There are some documents that show that he was actually earning fees in a choir, singing which part? At 15, bass, tenor? Oh, no, not at all. At age 15, Bach was still singing in a, quote, fine soprano voice. Now, it's not exactly clear where Bach was living around the age of 17, whether he's still in Nuneberg singing or if he's returned to Ordruf. But in any case, in 1703, Bach is employed in Weimar for less than one year, actually, about six months. For in July of 1703, he examines the organ in Arnstadt, and in August, he becomes the organist there. So from 1703 to 1707, Bach holds this job, and today's music will come from this period of his life. It's pretty much his first job. Going on with the briefest sketch from 1707 to 1708, he gets another job as organist in a different city, which was, any guesses? Who knows their Bach CV? This was Mühlhausen. This is the one year he was organist there, and in this one year, Bach, now 22 years old, gets married, and the publication of his first cantata, actually his first publication, BWV 71, Gottest mein König, was made there, and then he's off Where? Where next? Well, he's going back to Weimar, where for about 10 years, he does all kinds of interesting things. He repairs harpsichords, he's the court organist, he's promoted to concertmaster, violinist. He has six children, but he's not happy toward the end. He leaves his job with unfavorable discharge after being put into prison. But let's not imagine it was a harsh prison with rusty bars and just a cot and a toilet without a lid. Christoph Wolf called it an arrest room in our interview. In any case, he's off after about a month in prison and unfavorable discharge to... Where next? Who knows? Curtin. It's Curtin where he spends the next six years, evidently quite happily, writing down probably his most well-known music, the well-tempered clavier, the inventions in symphonias, the cello suites, the solo violin music, the Brandenburg Concerti, or at least some of the Brandenburg Concerti. And because this episode is not going to get deep into his biography, let's finish by saying that the Bachs moved to Leipzig in 1723, where Bach remained until his death for over 25 years. So we could highlight his career thusly. First, Arnstadt, then Mühlhausen for one year, Weimar, Curtin, and Leipzig. What is our music today, then? What piece will we be dissecting with our characteristic WTF dissection? Well, I was having a gander through the preface of the new Bach edition's sixth volume of organ works, as one does, and I read the following. 
The fugue in C minor, BWV 574, has come down to us in three different versions, one of which, BWV 574A, presumably represents an unauthorized variant. Now, this is very interesting because this is the newest newest edition of this volume. Previously, before this, this particular publication, they did print all three of those versions, but now the new volume no longer prints 574A. Okay, going on. As we know from the title of a copy prepared by Bach's eldest brother, that was, in fact, the eldest brother that he went to live with, um, Thema Lengratianum Elabratum per John Zeb Bach cum subjecto pedaliete. It is definitely based on a theme borrowed from another composer. The words cum subjecto refer to the second subject, thereby making the piece the first known double fugue in music history. Ah, the first known double fugue in music history? That's why I decided to make this episode, because I thought, wow, that's a first. That's a musical first for the young Bach. Going on. Only recently have scholars realized that Bach was mistaken in his wording of the title. So that would be Bach's eldest brother was mistaken in the wording of the title. And that the subject, rather than originating in the music of Giovanni Lengrenzi, which would have been Tema Lengrazionem, right, comes from an arrangement of the final section of a trio sonata by Giovanni Maria Bononcini, Bononcini namely his Opus 6, number 1, from 1672, the dense contrapuntal fabric, the subsequent combination of both subjects, and the free toccata-like ending elevate this fugue to a magnum opus of Bach's Arnstadt period. Okay, now that, I thought, was just absolutely, we have to cover that. It's a magnum opus of his Arnstadt period, his really first job, and it's the first double fugue in music history. Bach would have been, you know, 18 to 22 undergraduate years for our man. I find this hard to believe that there could be such a clear cut first as far as double fugues go, but if that's what the Neue Bachausgabe says, let's go with it. By the way, if you can find an earlier example of a double fugue, write me and I'll write about it. I didn't want to spend all my time researching the history of the double fugue for this episode, but assuming that the NBA is correct, and actually this is the first double fugue, I think it is a wonderful image. Bach, in those young years, takes the fugue genre and doubles it. Now, what am I talking about? How does one double a fugue? Well, it actually might be more simple to explain than you would think. First, you begin a fugue. You expose all the voices in the exposition, one theme is mimicked by the other voices singing the same theme, and after a while of fuguing along, you come to a cadence, and then, well, you do it again. You do it all over again, this time with a new subject, and this new subject will also be exposed in all the other voices, go along for some time, at which point, and this is the point of the double fugue, I suppose, at which point the two subjects have to come together and work as a unit. And that's the really exciting part there, when you can hear both fugues, which have each been individually exposed, coming together. So I'm going to play this fugue today and demonstrate parts of the fugue using a software that is actually brought to you by today's sponsor. That's right. This episode is brought to you by Modart, M-O-D-A-R-T-T. -T. It's a software company that makes two products, Pianotech 
an organ tech, T-E-Q. We will in this episode be using their software organ tech, which is a wonderful piece of software, sophisticated. It's essentially like having access to hundreds of different organs right there being at all their different consoles. Quite literally on the screen, you can touch the different stops as if you're pulling out the different stops from different consoles and you can create different combinations. Anything you could do essentially on a real organ, you can do with this software. You can even detune certain notes to mimic a organ that needs tuning. You can change the, the temperaments. It's incredibly realistic. And how do they do it? How do they make this software? Well, one might think that the way to do that is to go around to different organs through Europe and record different pipes and then put them all together and then you play it. That is known as sampling. But no, actually, organ tech does not sample. It is based on what is known as physical modeling, where the sound is synthesized in real time based on mathematical models of the physical properties of the organ pipes. I won't get into what that means and how that all works, but I will leave in the episode description a link to the to the discussion of this physical modeling, a link to the developers of the software so you can read about it yourself. Meanwhile, let me just show you a few things. For example, since today's music is the masterpiece of Bach's Arnstadt years, there is actually a preset on organ tech, an entire organ called Baroque Double Manual from Arnstadt. It's tuned in well temperament, not in equal temperament, at 465 hertz to the A. So that would be higher than our modern piano, much higher than it's used to. Uh, that was actually typical of organs back then, to be tuned usually a half step higher. That is the reason why, if you're ever curious, you look through cantata parts for, for Bach cantatas and other, other composers' cantatas, and the organ part is usually written a half step lower. Uh, so, you know, the cantatas in, in um, B major or something like that, and then you see the organ part being written in B flat major, and you, you always well, why why is that? Well, that's because, in fact the organ was pitched a half step higher. Now, this is what I love about organ tech. This is one of the things I love. Here's what happens when I play the keys without pulling any of the stops. Can you, can you hear that? Maybe I have to turn that up. But essentially, the same thing is happening if I were to play a real organ without playing any of the stops. You don't hear anything, but you can hear the clicking of the keys. And when I pull the stop too, here I'm going to pull. You can hear that? That's the sound of me pulling the stop in and out. And the preset switches, there are combinations. Here's the sound of a combination switch being hit. So you can hear, you can even hear the reverb in the church there of all of these pulled in and out. And now demonstrate very briefly here if I'm going to play on the Rook Positive I'm going to pull out um, the Gedacht 8-foot switch. Here's what it sounds like. And, you know, other combinations. Uh, I'll pull a few stops out here. You can add a MIDI pedal board to this, and then using this software, you can really put yourself into the church and play through the great organ works of Bach. If you are into organs and 
learning about them, playing the organ repertoire. This is, I believe, an essential piece of software for you. So thanks to Organ Tech, thanks to Modard for sponsoring this episode. Now, let's get into the music. This is the podcast about all things VIP Bach, which is JS Bach, brought to you by WTF Bach. As far as this theme by Giovanni Maria Bononcini goes, I was trying to look for the exact moment from where it comes in the music. Trio Sonata Opus 6, number 1, apparently the first of his Opus 6 trio sonatas, It is not available, at least on imslp.org, that's the great sheet music public domain resource, Uh, and I couldn't find a single recording on YouTube, so if you can find the Trio Sonata Opus 6, number one, from Bononcini, please send it to me. Otherwise, I listened to his music, and it's very beautiful, actually, quite quite alarmingly beautiful for a composer that I've never listened to before, so Bononcini, B-O-N-O-N-C-I-N-I. In any case, the theme that Bach chooses to develop Uh, is like this, and now I'm playing on a preset of this Arnstadt historic organ. Now, a few things to note. Uh, These ornaments, these mordants, now you know what to call them since the last episode, these mordants actually come from one of the other versions, 574B, and I will not play them when I play through this entire fugue, but it is interesting to note that possibly Bach would have embellished this this theme uh, with a mordant. And uh, another thing to note is the octave, the octave leap there. That's the subject. It is answered in uh, the left hand. Those would be the first two voices. Now, if I were to isolate that left hand, it started the same way, but then it has this half step here, this half step instead of the the minor third. So it finishes like this. And then the theme goes into the pedals here. Uh, At which point... The fourth voice will now come in, in the soprano. Here it is. And this voice, too, is like the second voice. Uh, It will go up the half step. And the pedal there steps down to the lowest note of our keyboard. And then we are off, sort of on an episode. The first fugue, because this is the the first double fugue in music, right? That's why it's so exciting. Uh, It will go about 36 bars and comes to a cadence like this. And then the double fugue begins. And now here is our second subject. Okay, quite, quite different. So the first subject was a bit stagnant like this. But it had this octave jump, and I brought that to your attention because the second subject will also have an octave jump here. It is answered. 
again the octave jump. And now, thank uh, God that Bach has made the subject in the pedal a bit simpler. This is, I wonder if this is because of his Arnstadt years. I have a feeling that in the later Leipzig organ music, he would not have hesitated from playing. But luckily for us organists, he says. which I actually tend, tend to love because of sort of the, uh, the strictness of the motion. Here it is, the second subject coming in the pedals with the other manuals. Now this will go on for almost the same length as the first fugue. The first fugue I think was 36 bars, and now this one will be something like 34 bars because around bar 70, you know what's gonna happen. We have the first subject in the left hand. You will see its combination with the miraculous first double fugue in history. Here it is. And I know how much you like hearing those voices panned out. So here is one subject in one speaker and the other in another. That's the first combination of two fugal subjects in music history, evidently. Now, what I particularly love about it is that the young Bach, the 18 to 22-year-old Bach, has calculated that if he puts the octave jumps of the two subjects, you know, there was one that came in the first subject and one that came in the second subject, if he puts them sort of not on top of each other, but right next to each other, they'll form this call and response. First subject, second subject, and the octave is here in the second subject, and then there in the first subject. So listen to the call and response. Octave, octave. Now, the fugue goes on. Again, it goes on for another 34 bars or something like that. So the architecture of the fugue is, is very neat. You know, about 35 bars in each section. First fugue, second fugue, then the combination. And then, as we read in the preface to the Neue Bach-Ausgabe, it said that the Fantasia-like ending. Well, what is this Fantasia-like ending that he's talking about? Well, here we go. After the abrupt ending of the fugue in what is only an eighth note. Cuts off just like that, and then we have this. Like, what? And then all of a sudden the pedal slams down the E natural, boom. And then here we have this crazy diminished chord with a flat nine. Doesn't matter what it is other than it sounds like that. And then the pedal. Now that's very fun to play with feet. And then with the manuals. So we have these sort of tremolo effects going on, right? And that will happen all the way through the, you know, fantasy of, of an ending. And then the pedal, at a certain point, will just sort of go back and forth on these notes here. Left, right, left, right, left, right. And the manuals join in like this. You know, this sounds like Philip Glass. And then, whoa, look at this chord. 
A flat major, like out of the darkness, and then scales, virtuosity, and then mm, F sharp. Let's hear that. A product of the unequal temperament. This, that F sharp. There. If we listen, listen to this row of minor thirds. A C. G sharp B a bit more crunchy, nice and pure. But then, and Bach knows what he's doing when he ends those scales on. And then the ending, the very last bar is what I want to draw your attention to because Bach has a dominant pedal point here, this G. Just you're simply holding it with the foot, and you're playing again more virtuosic scales. And then the foot goes down to the C, the low C here. You're thinking that, you know, maybe it's going to end something like this. There's some, some really drawn out chord. And I mean, you know, you love playing the organ because you can just sit there and... Sound's still going. Everyone's just kind of waiting. And then you take it off and then maybe there's scarce applause. But no, Bach is not going to give that to you. He's going to play... Still haven't decided if we're major or minor yet. How's it gonna end? What what's he gonna do? What's he gonna do? He does. And you're like gasping for breath because <laughs> you can't believe that. Did that did that just happen? Did he just end this entire giant double fugue with this? And that's in the pedal. Be boom. Right left. And that's how he ends it. Okay, let's hear this. I'm going to play through this now on this historic organ, this uh, preset from Mozart, and we will hear Bach's Arnstadt masterpiece, the first double fugue in history. I would just very briefly say a few things over it as I'm saying it, as, I, as I'm playing it, and then I will play it again uninterrupted, and that will be it, and we can go about our lives. A double fugue richer. Play with the feet. Here it is. Pedals. Fourth voice in the soprano. That's the end of the exposition. Here's an episode. Going to the dominant minor. Here we are. Themes. Almost in a canon. Now we're going to the relative major, E flat major. Here we go. themes. The pedals take a break, only manuals. Here the pedals come again, bass. <laughs> <laughs> 
And here is the end of the fugue. And the second fugue. Answer, second voice. And the pedals. Pedals again. You could really hear the unequal temperament here. Top voice there, you heard the D flat. Themes in the left hand now. This close imitation here. No themes present until the left hand. Now the pedals. And now this. Ah, 30 second notes, and here is the end of the combination. Pedal's second fugue. And left hand, first theme. Right hand, second theme. Bass. Second theme in the soprano. This is cadential material. Is it over? No, because. Now, pure fantasy, pure fantasy. He doesn't want horizontal lines anymore. Vertical sonorities.
quite the fugue. And a few things. You know, this was one of the fugues that I'm reading through the book and I'm thinking, oh yeah, this one again. And, and you know, maybe you, maybe you toss it off as being like, oh, it's probably not the greatest. But then you keep coming back to it and, and it just keeps enriching your mind and your fingers and you just think, wow, this, this really something here and how could I have possibly tossed this aside at first? And if you're lucky, that's the experience that deep music will keep giving to you your entire life. The other thing, I guess I was misreading this chord here, thinking that there was actually a D-flat in it, but it's a mere dominant seventh, intense nonetheless. And the idea that when the theme comes in the, um, in the answer, with this half step, this is what we would call a real answer or a tonal answer. Like I'm thinking of this fugue, for example, from the well-tempered. And the answer, this answer, we would call this a tonal answer instead of this. Bach chooses this. And, you know, that's a very subtle difference versus this. But this, as opposed to this, those are quite different forms of, of, of answers. And I think that maybe, maybe for the young Bach, the ideas between real answer and tonal answer weren't quite so fixed in his mind. So we get this bold approach to a non-real answer, a tonal answer. So I hope you have enjoyed this fugue as much as I have. I'm now going to play it again, maybe just a tad bit faster, and I won't be talking through it. And then I can't resist but putting this in MIDI so that you can hear it with the voices panned in different directions. I mean, it wouldn't be the WTF Bach podcast without it.
Wow. Now, I noticed so much playing this fugue in this particular temperament. This was a different preset. This tuning was the sixth tone, Zilbermann um, temperament, meaning that the, the Pythagorean comma that we covered on our episode about the Pythagorean comma is divided into six pieces. And, you know, first of all, there's the end there when he's holding the very lowest C in the pedals, and then he has the audacity to... Just you know, hold that low C in the pedal with the B natural. I mean, gosh, what a what a menace to tonality. And then I thought that particularly the second subject, you know, when he goes onto the A flat in this particular temperament, it sounded it sounded really painful. Just a wonderful fugue. Thanks for listening. Here is the MIDI version. Subscribe to the Substack. You know the drill.
only place for you to find all things in the mind of Evan Schinner. WTFBach.substack.com Thank you for listening. This podcast exists because of listeners like you. That organ is so organized. So support on PayPal, Cash App, or Venmo. You can find all relevant links in the episode description.